Almost everything I ever learned, I learned at home. Spelling and math facts and reading, I learned all of that at home. Hello, and welcome to the Arts of Language podcast with Andrew Poudois, founder of the Institute for Excellence in Writing, or as many like to say, IEW. My name is Julie Walker, and I'm honored to serve Andrew and IEW as the Director of Marketing. Our goal here is to equip teachers and teaching parents with methods and materials which will aid them in training their students to become confident and competent communicators and thinkers. Hi everyone, this week we're going to switch it up a bit and play for you the audio portion of one of our IEW webinars. Because the webinar itself is over an hour, we're splitting it into two parts, but we'll post both of them this week. And we'll post any links or websites mentioned in this recording at IEW.com podcast. Enjoy! Well, good evening everyone. This is Andrew Pudua. And I am at our IEW headquarters in eastern Oklahoma. And I welcome you all to one of our special summer webinars on spelling in the brain. What we do during the school year, each first Monday of the month, more or less, we do a webinar on each of the nine units of the structure and style syllabus, working through those with kind of a review and refinement approach to help people have success with the writing program and not get stuck, which can happen. But during the summer, we tried to do a few special things. We had Carol Topp in to talk about entrepreneurship at the beginning of the summer. And here we are in July, and it was suggested that we do one on spelling in the brain. And we've had a really great response, a good turnout. And so I welcome you. There is a video of this talk available, or not this exact talk, but one similar to it, on YouTube, and you can watch that at your leisure. And there's also a handout for the conference talk that I do called Spelling in the Brain that has bullet point outline to what we're going over this evening. And then one other thing to remind you of is that this webinar will be recorded. And if you have signed up for it, whether you are here logged in with us now or whether you will want to at a later date, you can listen in, view, uh, and have the same webinar experience. I'm going to spend about 40 minutes or so talking about the spelling in the brain ideas, the difference between visual and auditory input. We'll talk about the difference between phonics for encoding and phonics for decoding. Talk a little bit about how to become an excellent speller. We'll also talk about how the brain stores information, frequency, intensity, and duration and how to apply that in our teaching of spelling and really any other subject. And then for the last 20 minutes or so, I will be actually specifically teaching any details on how to use our Phonetic Zoo spelling program. So I don't want this to come across at all as a sales presentation. If you are just here for the information, that's great. And if you have purchased the Phonetic Zoo or not purchased the Phonetic Zoo, you can stick around on how to use the Phonetic Zoo program, or you can go off and take care of your family, which I'm sure many of you need to do 
often, especially with some of these families of four and five kids I see listed there on the side. So we will launch off and talk about what is spelling. If you're going to have a conference or a webinar, you're going to talk about the thing, you'd better define what it is. And spelling is, I think, one of the weirdest things that English-speaking people have to learn. It, it defies every other comparison. It certainly is nothing like math. Math has rules that work. Other languages are very consistent. It doesn't resemble science. Science has pictures and systems that are a little more memorable. Other people in other languages don't really have to learn spelling in the same way English speakers do. Spanish, for example, is very, very consistent. It's derived from Latin, and, and in Latin and Spanish, words are very, very consistently spelled the way they sound. Whereas in English, we have all these different phonetic systems competing all at the same time. We've got a little bit of Greek, we've got lots of Latin, we've got some German and French, we've got some Anglo-Saxon, and who knows what else all mixed in, which gives us, on one side, a rich language with lots and lots of words and origins and ways to say things, but on the other hand, it gives us this chaotic, hard-to-store and somewhat inconsistent spelling system, at least inconsistent the eyes of children and others who haven't learned it yet. So how, how would you define spelling? Well, here's my definition, and I've honed and refined this definition over years. And so here is the definition of spelling according to Pudua. Spelling is the correct retrieval of sequentially stored, virtually random bits of information. The correct retrieval of sequentially stored, virtually random bits of information. So usually I would ask, in this sentence, in this definition I provided for you, what would you consider to be the most important word, say the key word, the word that would help you become a better teacher of spelling? Because there's a lot of options, and you may like to type in your opinion what you think is the key word. I mean, some people say correct. Well, of course, correct. Retrieval, that's key. I mean, if you can't get it out, you can't use it. Random, yes, definitely. That That is a helpful one. Information, that's good. I would argue myself that sequentially is kind of the key idea because that, more than any of the other words, defines the nature of what spelling is. So to spell a word correctly, you have to not only get all the letters out, you have to get them out in the right order, right? So I'm sure that, that some of you have seen this type of thing, right? G-R-I-L, you know, what is, what is that likely? B-A-A-R, B-A-E-R, sorry. What, what is the child possibly trying to write right there? This last one is very popular. The I and E mix-up there, none of those are correctly spelled words, and yet we may see children writing those. So it kind of raises the question, if that's what's coming out of children's brain onto paper, why? They've never seen those, probably. There's never been an input of those, and yet that's what's coming out. And one of the things I have understood over my years of teaching spelling and writing and language and lots of things is it's very hard to get out of a brain something that isn't in there to begin with. 
right? It's it's very hard, if not impossible, to get out of a brain math facts if it doesn't have stored math facts. You don't get Chinese out of a brain that doesn't have Chinese. You don't get physics out of a brain that doesn't have physics stored. So guess what? In the teaching of spelling and, and the evaluating of children's spelling on paper, you don't get out of the brain correctly spelled words unless you get them in there to begin with. So the thing that's interesting is when you see a word, right, the input is simultaneous. It's global. It's 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 all at once. In fact, I'm going to show you a word. Are you looking at the screen? I hope you're looking at the screen. There's a word. Okay. Now, when that word appears on the screen, it appears there all at once. When a child looks at a word on a piece of paper, he sees the whole word. So the word is not being stored sequentially in the child's brain. There's a spatial storage, there's a visual, there's a global storage, but there isn't a sequential storage because you see it all at once, you see? So that's an interesting thing about the nature of visual input. However, when you hear a word, right, if I spell a word for you out loud, okay, E-F-F-E-C-T-I-V-E. -E. I am forced by nature to say it, and you are forced by nature to hear it one letter at a time. I can't spit the whole thing at you all at once. No, that's not going to work. So the idea then is that when you, you hear it, you hear it sequentially. So visual input is global and simultaneous, whereas auditory input is sequential. And because spelling is a sequential activity, auditory input may be more effective for many children. Now, make a little caveat here. Not necessarily all children, right, but for some children. I would say most children, if they have difficulties with, you know, learning stuff, they're more likely to have visual difficulties than auditory ones. But there are a small number of children who are more auditorily confused than they are visually confused. And so this may not be true in their case. Or you've got children who have you know, difficulties in both areas, and those are our beloved kinesthetic learners for whom we need to figure out maybe even a, a more multisensory way of storing the information. But the idea then is that the visual input, which is simultaneous, doesn't give sequential storage of information. And the auditory input is sequential. Does that kind of make sense to everyone? I am a pretty good speller. And I don't credit the Los Angeles Public School District, where I grew up. I would credit my mom, because my mom taught me to spell. Kind of like that book, Everything I Ever Needed to Know I Learned in Kindergarten. Well, in my case, I would say almost everything I ever learned, I learned at home. School was for other reasons, learning to survive the social environment, perhaps a few other types of things you can't do. But in terms of things like spelling and math facts and reading and history and economics, I learned all of that at home after school. And one of the things I learned from my mother was spelling. So. Uh, you remember the old system, you would get your spelling list on Monday. 
and then you're supposed to, quote, study. And then you would take the pretest on, say, Wednesday or Thursday. And if you got 90% on the pretest, well, you're good. You don't have to take the final test on Friday, which is a stupid method to begin with. But nevertheless, you probably noticed that the same kids would kind of always get, you know, 90% or 100% on their spelling test on Friday. And the same kids would barely pass or not pass. And then, of course, next Monday, regardless of whoever passed or didn't pass or whatever the scores were, regardless, you get a new list on Monday. Well, I always got 100%. But again, I don't credit the school. I credit my mom because somehow, I don't know how, she got the spelling list. And she would drill me on this spelling list. And so we're chopping vegetables in the kitchen or riding in the car, sitting on the couch or folding the laundry. And she would she would drill me on spelling words. And she'd say, okay, Andy, uh, the next word is special. And so I would try to figure that out, sound it out, special, sp, S-P, S-P-E-S-H-I-L, special. And she would say, well, pretty good guess, but it's a weird word. It might be like Italian or something because instead of S-H, the C-I says sh, right? And instead of uh, a, a special, like it sounds, you have to kind of think special, like speciality. Okay, try it again. All right, S-P-E-C-A-L. Okay, you're close. You're getting close. You forgot the I after the C. Okay, I got it. S-P-C-I-A-L. Okay, you're getting really close now, but you got to get the E in the first syllable. Okay, S-P-E-C-I-A-L. Okay, that's great. Now do it one more time so we know it wasn't an accident. Okay, S-P-E-C-I-A-L. And she would just drill me on these words until I could say them all. And, and what's interesting is in this study method, there was no paper involved. No paper involved at all. It was just entirely verbal and auditory. And yet I knew, I, I by the end of the week, I knew that I knew how to spell these words. So I'd go into class, grade four or five, whatever it was, and the teacher would say, okay, children, the next word is special. You are all very special to me. Okay, great. So I sit there, go special. I know this. Okay. And I would whisper it to myself, S-P-E-C-I-A-L. And I knew if I could say it, I could hear it. And if I could hear it, I could write it down. And if I could write it down correctly and do that with all the words, I could get 100%, which, of course, was the great goal in school, to make the teachers happy and get 100%. So that's how I learned to spell. Now, the interesting question, of course, is where did I, where did my mother learn how to do that with me? Well, her mother did that with her. Well, how did her mother know how to do that? Well, because that is the method of study that was common in the one-room schoolhouse in rural Arkansas in 1905. And that was that children practiced their words verbally. In fact, there's been a big shift, if, if you look at it, from the way spelling was taught 100, 150 years ago to the way spelling is taught today. A shift from the auditory input, the, the oral, the aural oral loop, the hearing speaking loop, to the printed page in the workbook or the worksheet or whatever. 
And so there's this big shift that happened over time from the auditory to the visual. And I believe that is one reason why it has become increasingly difficult to teach children to spell well over the course of the last several decades, is this burst of ability to produce copy paper, produce consumable workbook materials, all of this stuff. And so it's a shift from the ear to the eye. And that's not necessarily the best shift for most children. And so this idea, I, I kind of understood this. Now, I put one of my children in grade three. I put her in a third grade classroom in a fairly, I would say, rigorous type of school. And I quickly noticed they were going to test her every week with long lists of challenging words. But they weren't necessarily going to teach the spelling effectively because she came home getting a piece of paper upon which she would attempt to copy the word 10 times. The only thing about it was she hadn't copied it correctly 10 times. In fact, not only had she not copied it correctly 10 times, it had kind of mutated in the middle like a game of telephone so that the word at the end of the line didn't look very much at all like the original correctly spelled word. And I, I looked at that and thought, well, okay, if this child is going to learn to spell, I'm going to have to teach her the way that my mom taught me. And that is with that verbal auditory practice. So that's one of probably the most important things that I have learned and, and also seen firsthand with lots and lots of families is that if you're not having success doing what you're doing, I mean, if you are having success, do what you're doing. But if you're not having success, you want to change, you want to consider doing something different. And so what we do is a little bit different, and I will explain that a little bit. I do want to pop up, though, and talk about phonics for encoding versus phonics for decoding. And I actually believe I have met children who have had too much phonics instruction, that it's been limited in that way so that they end up basically only able to spell words that are sound outable, words that make sense from a decoding point of view. I'll give you an example of how this can be confusing to a child. Take, for example, the sounds, the combination of letters that make the sound A, right? So there's A with nothing. There's A with an E at the end. There's E-A. There's actually A-E. There's A with an I, and then there's A with a Y. Then there's E-I, and then there's E-I-G-H. And so there's, I don't know, what is that, seven different sound letter combinations that make the sound A. Now, that is useful information if you are decoding, right? Because if you're decoding and you see one of those sounds, you go, aha, that is one of them A sounds. Therefore, this word must be slay, especially since there is no word slaigha that you are aware of. So you eliminate the impossible and you're left with the probable. And so you say, okay, that must be slay, especially since there is no slaigha in English. 
the idea then is slay. Okay, you figured it out. You can now read, know what that word means, and continue on. Right? So that's useful information for decoding. Now, when you're encoding, that can be a little bit confusing. You're sitting there saying, I want to write the word slay. So you think, okay, it could be A, it could be A E, it could be E A, it could be an A with the N, it could be A Y, it could be A I, it could be E I, it could be E I. There's too many possibilities. And that is further exacerbated by the problem of, you know, do you want to ride in it or do you want to kill someone, right? So oftentimes when we're writing, the encoding process is in a way almost harder when we've got so much phonics information we get overwhelmed by all the possibilities. So what I have come to understand is the benefit of organizing words into phonetic groupings. This actually goes way back to Mrs. Ingham and the blended soundsite program of learning from which our whole tradition and our writing program everything evolved from Mrs. Ingham's work. But what she began to understand is that children get the benefit of being able to organize seemingly random information by de-randomizing it, by connecting the seemingly random with a set of information that is consistent. Let me give you an example here. So let's say that you know that the words queen and bee and eel and pea, the kind you do, are all ee -E sounds. And you have that bit of understanding because you've connected all those words in a little chart or in an exercise that causes you to realize those are all related words. Queen, bee, eel, pea, the kind you do. Now, you have another little set of words that you've organized in your brain, and those would be words like leaf and bean and pea, the kind you eat, right? And you say, okay, so there's some words where ee -E says e, and other words where ee -E says ea says e. There's also words where ea says something else, too, so you have to organize those as well. But at least you've got these two sets. And so you've got your queen and bee and eel and pea, the kind you do. You've got your leaf and your bean and your pea, the kind you eat. Okay, now you get a new word. You get a word like treat, T-R-E-A-T. You say, aha, that is one of them leaf, bean, pea, the kind you eat words, and you stick it with there. And there is, I guess, a little bit of a, a logical connection because you can eat leaves and you can eat beans, and you can eat peas, and you can eat treats. And then you get a word like street, right? And it's E-E. -E. And you say, aha, that's E-E. -E. And it goes with the queen and the eel and the bees in the street. And so you can put it there in your brain. So you, you actually can organize words in your mind by tool sounds. But what you need is a core grouping of words so that you can attach new words to it. Because if you just attempt to learn street and treat in isolation without a connection with other phonetic groups, it's totally random. I mean, there is no lexicological or logical reason as to why street is EE -E and treat is EA. Do you see? 
So what you want when you're teaching spelling is to be able to set up these core groupings and then use them to attach more words to it. And that's one thing that our phonetic zoo program is very much designed to do. And we'll get into that in a little more detail in a little bit. We do have to stop here because we're out of time for today. But because we don't want to leave you hanging too long, we'll go ahead and post the rest of the content later this week. Thanks so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, you can subscribe to this podcast in iTunes or Stitcher, or just visit us each week at IEW.com slash podcast. Until then, on behalf of Andrew Poudois and the team at IEW, I thank you for the privilege of allowing us to partner with you on this educational journey toward better listening, speaking, reading, writing, and thinking. Thank you.